Mana 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 this is social disgusting. I was just thinking too, to your point about Towering Inferno and the music kind of both setting the scene and welcoming you in and giving you that idea, that realization of like, oh, this is the importance of music and what it does and how it sets the tone. I do feel like that the whole idea of an attention getter is something that's really spoken about far more in screenwriting. Of you got to set the scene and, oh, get your attention of the audience. But music is just as important as that. I totally agree. Totally agree. Try watching a movie without music and tell me how that works, you know. So, it, yeah, I, I, I just totally, totally agree. Yeah. It's so funny, too, because, and you'll read this in a lot of blogs and magazines, but, you know, a lot of people will go, well, that was an awful script. Well, the reality is we probably should have got a look at the first or second draft because by the time it gets through committee, you know, with the rare exception of your Aaron Sorkins or your Steve Zalians or Scott Franks who probably have a little more say on saying, no, you can't change that. It's rare to have a screenplay that isn't written by committee. So by the time it gets, you know, gets to the finished film, who knows how many people had their hands on it. Have you seen Sorkin's new movie, by the way? No, I supposed to. We started to watch it, was it three nights ago? Uh, Chicago, uh, Trial of the Chicago 7, yeah. Yeah, I'm dying to see it. Getting phenomenal reviews. But I, something happened, we had to go somewhere. So I'm, I've got it set to view, so. I am not a fan. Oh, you didn't like it? Not at all. That's interesting. Now, I'm, now I just funny. I just I'm a fan of Aaron Sorkin. I also know his tropes, but I give him I give him grace because he's a playwright, and he'll tell you that he's from the stage. So there's a lot of people that like his style of writing, and some people that don't. I just watched his masterclass, all 23 episodes of it. It was fascinating. Actually, it was fascinating. Oh, I'm sure. I just think that it's an interesting dichotomy of his writing is Sorkin. It's its own genre now of writing. That's right. And yeah, he's a playwright, so there's an absolute like theatricality to it. But I think also, maybe it's a better director needs to handle the complexity of that writing. So tell me, what was it about maybe the, the flow of the story or the direction or the acting that didn't work for you? I thought the performances were the performances. I think some of them worked better, and I don't know whether that's the choices of the actor or the director or vice versa, the interplay there. But some performances stood out more than others. But then again, maybe part of it was the part that they had was kind of meatier and more interesting and had more moments that were more theatrical. And granted, my least favorite actor in the world is Eddie Redmayne, so that doesn't help. Oh, really? That's interesting. Well, I, it's kind of interesting him. they cast him as Tom Hayden, because if you ever have seen Tom Hayden in any reels, he's been married to Jane Fonda. Eddie Redmayne would not have been my first thought. So that's that's interesting right there. His name has box office because of those uh, Grindelwald movies or whatever. Yeah. The, so, yeah. I mean, that helps. I just, I cannot stand him. I think he is such a, and I don't, and this doesn't always go bad by any stretch, but he's like very theater kitty. He is very, very performative. And while that may work for some actors, the more performative actors like Nicolas Cage, I don't know, he still makes them work in the movie. And I just feel like he, he takes me out of it a lot. You see, that's interesting you say that. And I like him more than you do, but I don't disagree. I would say what you just said, even though I adore him as an actor, because I'm okay with a little more theatricality if I don't get totally pulled out. That's what I mean, yes. But ben Benedict Cumberbatch does the same thing for me, and I adore him. But he's extremely theatrical in so many of his choices, but it always works for me. <laughs> so, See, I think the difference is that Benedict Cumberbatch, I think, makes that work because he has so much presence. He does. And I don't think Eddie Redmayne has that. Yeah, I, that's a good distinction. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Because, like, you know, like, um, Tom Hardy makes wild choices in a, yes. in a very interesting way. But he also, he's got so much confidence and presence. And also, like, he commits fully. And I completely respect it. Right, right. They're saying, allegedly, he's the new pick for Bond. 
I heard I heard that. What do you think of that? I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess it depends on his choices, right? I'm, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not even sure that series of films shouldn't end with Daniel Craig. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. You mean just stop making Bond movies? Well, they're just, I mean, they're not, I thought they hit their nadir at Skyfall. I thought Skyfall yeah. was the nadir of the Bond films. I really did. I love that movie so much. It is so good. Everything about it works. And that's fine. And they're, they're gloriously fun to watch. I just think the more I watch them, the more they have a hard time finding anything new to explore. And the fact that they started to explore his background and M's background, that peeled back a layer. It was interesting to me. I agree. You know, I don't know. I guess with these movies, like they can, depending on which movie we're talking about, but in some of them, and the worst ones, I would argue, physics don't really exist. So I guess you could do anything. That doesn't bother me so much. I don't, I don't hold them to any kind of. No, no. I'm just saying that that allows it for literally anything to be possible in terms of mining new ground. But they definitely are going for the more grounded approach, which I get. And to your point, like for Skyfall, worked immensely. I, I think it is. It's my favorite Bond movie, I'd say, and it's the most fun. Although in terms of like a more quote-unquote traditional Bond movie, honestly, my favorite is Goldeneye. I love that movie so much. That's so, I'm glad to hear you say that because I love Goldeneye and I really liked Pierce. I don't think Pierce got his due. He was wasted. Uh, yeah, I do. And I thought he was, when he, in those moments, some of those, and I also liked the movie with, I thought he and Michelle Yao were really good together. Oh, Tomorrow Never Dies? Yeah. I didn't know if the whole movie worked, but they were really good together. They had chemistry for sure. I love her anyway, but yeah, I I, I agree. So I, you know, but I, I'm with you. I mean, I don't want to say that they should stop making them. I just, I think it's going to be really, it'll be interesting to see what Carrie Fukunaga does on this one. So I'll tell you what. Well, first of all, the producer said it's an amazing movie. They want him back for another one. Now, that doesn't mean anything, obviously, because right. the, the broccolis, the broccolis, this is literally all they have. And granted, that's a hell of a thing to only have. Right. However, this is their sole focus, and they are like wicked, notorious yes. micromanagers. They want it the way they want it, yep. which can be very stifling to some directors. Right. And, and I can imagine so. But this is a guy who, unfairly, in my opinion, has a reputation for being uncompromising. But to be a director, I think, and to be an auteur like you are, That's just how it goes. Right. From what I gather and read and all that, it's not that he's like some asshole who just won't work with you. It's that he knows when to walk away. Yep. And he's done that. But it seems like either he's made the movie he's wanted to make or he's made it and he's reconciled and he's taken those notes and made the movie that they wanted and that he wanted. But they're very happy about it. And so I'm very curious to see this new movie when it comes out in 15 years. Me too, because I just thought, to your point, I thought, wow. Here's a guy who has a singular vision when he shoots something, and you don't think of a Bond movie as meshing with something like that. So I thought, wow, kudos to both of them for him to say yes, but also for them to pick him to say, you know, come make a Bond movie, because they could have been totally naive about what they were getting. So No, they knew, and also, though, he knew, and he knew they were desperate. So that helps him a lot to have some leverage, right? because they've had a number of people drop out, and... It was like they were really going up against their deadline, arbitrary though it was, I suppose. But then again, you get that date locked in, it's locked in. It takes a lot of resources to move a release date. So they needed him and he knew that. And I'm sure that, frankly, is going to help the viewer in the long run because I think he's going to be, outside of just the movie and how good he is as a filmmaker, I think he's going to be particularly good at making the villain especially chilling and dastardly. I totally agree. I think that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Funny, because I, so I started thinking about Sam Mendes, 
because of his doing Skyfall. So now I'm going to skip over to him for a second. Ask you, did you see 1917? I did see it. I thought it was overrated, but impressive. Yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was an amazing achievement. I'm not sure that it had the emotional resonance for me that I thought it might. I think they relied too much on the spectacle of the accomplishment. Well, I mean, and I get what he, I get what he was doing though, because it it did put you there. It did. I thought that's. I mean, it is an achievement, and it was a choice. It's a story choice too, not just from a filmmaking standpoint or a shooting perspective, but also from a script perspective about how to unspool the story. So I just thought, gosh, that was it was really really bad. I just I don't know what I was expecting. Of course, that's that's the problem when you hear about a film being built up like that. You know, that's that can be detrimental to it, but. I really liked it. It's not, my, it's not my favorite war movie, but it's incredibly well done. I just think that when people were talking about it and hyping it up for the Oscars, and granted that's just part of the machine itself, I think that they were talking far more about the wild backstory of how they accomplished these different shots more than how good the movie was. Yep. And that tells you something, in my opinion. Yep, I agree. I agree. But, you know, cinematically, it's a hell of an experience, and I appreciated that. I'm glad it didn't win Best Picture, and I'm certainly glad that Parasite won far more than, you know, than it lost. Well, it's funny you say that, because I'm, I am totally in the minority here. And I don't know, for people of your podcast that will listen to this, they'll say, get him out of there! But I'm, <laughs> that's how I feel about Stanley Kubrick. I feel like he's a master technician and a so-so storyteller. And I just, I, I'll use The Shining as an example. I think for everybody, so a lot of people that saw that movie may not have read the book. And they said, this is the most visually arresting horror movie ever. In my opinion, it was a, a beautiful black limousine with no engine. Because the story, and I love See, but you're a King fan though, right? Well, I'm a Shining fan in the book. I don't like okay. Stephen King, but I mean, his sequel that was, uh, I think Mike Flanagan did called Dr. Sleep was tremendous. I love that movie. Ugh, Ewan McGregor was perfect as an adult Danny. But to go back to The Shining, the whole story is about, it, a lot of it is Danny's relationship with uh, Dick O'Halloran, the, the black man played by Scatman Crothers. He doesn't die in the book. And it's about that relationship that helps him through this whole thing. Now, granted, the, the, you know, the steady cam shots and everything with the tricycle are great, but I just felt, felt so empty. I remember I walked out of that thinking... What a missed opportunity. And I thought Jack Nicholson was way, way, way over the top. Did not work for me. Again, I'm in the minority here. And I thought Shelley Duvall was terribly miscast in that role. It's interesting to watch that movie and to know the backstory of how Kubrick gave Shelley Duvall, to put it lightly, hell. Oh my God, yeah. And then you watch that movie and it's just like, a certain percentage of that is certainly not acting. Right. For Dr. Sleep, which is a movie I truly love so much, did you watch the director's cut of that? I haven't seen it, no. It is worth watching because it's an actual like director's cut as opposed to they just put in a few extra scenes that don't necessarily add a lot. Right. And then it's just kind of a cash grab. No, it's 28 minutes longer and they flesh out both sides of it more, you know, because they're, they're serving like two masters with both the movie to reconcile with and then the actual book adaptation. And they flesh those out more. It works way better. I thought he did a really good job of doing that balance. I thought, okay, is he going to, but he really does pay service to both. I was very impressed. I really was. Well, this new one, the the 28-minute-plus version, additional version, gives it more room to breathe, and I highly recommend it. I love the just the theatrical cut, but I absolutely love, because you get more time to kind of live in it, and I wanted to do that, and it works very well. That dude is very talented. Yeah, he is, and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to, uh, I'll do that, because that's the kind of stuff I'll just eat up. I'm one of those people that, you use the, the term that I love, 
to, to allow a film to breathe. I will love, I love films that are longer and allow a little bit more character nuggets or character development because I just feel that brings it to life more. So, yeah, I think that's also why TV shows are a better kind of repository for book adaptations, for example, as opposed to a movie because A, it's a miracle some of those get movies get made, but B, you know, it doesn't have to be like, okay, if we're going to make this movie, 90 minutes. They actually can give an adaptation what it deserves because there's, you know, there's an understandable reason as to why most books are better than the movies that are from which they're adapted because, yeah, you know, books are longer and they get way more time to develop. So at least with these miniseries or TV show versions, you get more time to breathe, and I appreciate that. Totally agree. It's interesting because I, I think that's why Lonesome Dove works so well. You know, that the history of that was that was originally a screenplay. Uh, that Larry McMurtry was writing with Peter Bogdanovich that was going to star John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, and Henry Fonda. And it was called Streets of Laredo, which became the sequel to Lonesome Dove. And it was just going to be a two-hour movie. And they almost came together, but at the last minute, I think John Wayne said, no, I don't think I want to play that role. So it kind of fell apart, and he said, well, I've got something here. And he developed it into this great American novel. And this miniseries works because it's that's one of those things, again, as I said earlier, I just missed those people after I watched it. I felt like I got to know Gus and, and Woodrow and P.I. and all those people. They became friends. And so when they when when they make that kind of impression on you, when they resonate that deeply with, with you, with the viewer, that's success. That is yeah. incredible success. Well, you know, thank God John Wayne turned it down considering the ripple effect yes. know, as a result of that. But when I talk about, for whatever reason, this is what came to mind. But, you know, for years they've been trying to adapt Devil in the White City into yes. a movie. And it was going to be at one point Scorsese and DiCaprio. And granted, yep. there are a thousand projects before that that were going to be that too that never became it. But they're adapting it now into a Hulu TV series. Oh, I did not know that. I'm really glad to hear that too. That's the the best avenue for that, in my opinion. Yeah. Because they're going to really get into it. And Hulu also wants to get in more in the premium television business. And they've been pumping out a lot of good content, in my opinion. And that could be huge and very atmospheric. And I'm very excited for it. Yeah, totally agree. It's a great book, too. Great book. So, okay. I don't want to take up more of your time. I could literally do this all day. <laughs> yeah, could we? Yes. I love, I love this. <laughs> it's so fun. Is there, uh, is there anything you want to point people toward before we wrap it up? Point people to, as in a film? Whatever you want. Film, movie, personal thing, whatever. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, whenever I think about things like that, I think of just really small movies. And so, in case people haven't seen it, I'll point people to a little film that was actually Mel Gibson's directorial debut called The Man Without a Face, which I think is a beautiful little film that's got a gorgeous score by James Horner, a very understated performance by Mel Gibson, and one of the best endings it's in my top five endings of all movies. Interesting. A satisfying ending and the way the elements come together. So that would be a little movie if you haven't seen it. It's funny, I read an interesting thing. When they previewed that movie for audiences, when they were trying to just do previews and get scorecards and stuff on it, it mm -hmm. came with a 98% on everybody that saw it. That's interesting. I wonder what happened with that. I guess maybe it wasn't for everybody and also his face... His face took some adjusting to. So well, it's funny too because uh, he tried to get. He didn't want to star in it. He he originally was going to cast uh, William Hurt. He he turned it down. He's going to do Jeff Bridges, who would have been great. William Hurt would have been particularly good. Um, but nobody wanted to do it. And he goes, "Well, I'll just do it myself because I love this little story, and I like it because it it is a small movie. It's just this little understated film, um, and I just and I thought 
What an interesting choice for your first film, and then to go from that to Braveheart's a, a leap in like a century. It's, you know, yeah, but no joke. But I just thought, wow, what a what I find the theme of the book and the theme of the movie and just how it it comes out. I just love it. It's just a little small movie, but if you haven't seen it, I think it's it's worthwhile. So that's my recommendation. Great recommendation. I'll piggyback off that with two film recommendations of things I've watched in the last couple of months. Two movies that came out within. Two years of each other, actually. One of which is the 1978 movie Straight Time. Oh, I've seen Straight Time. I saw that in the theater. I watched it for the first time. I- yes. And the 1980 movie The Long Good Friday. Oh. Highly recommend it. The soundtrack of The Long Good Friday is fantastic. Highly recommend it. Great choices, Brandon. I mean, honestly, yes, both of those. Great choices. They're great movies, and especially with the second one. I mean, Hoffman's great, obviously, uh, yep. but... Uh, but Bob Hoskins is fantastic. Yep, that's the first time I saw him was in that movie. He's amazing, like truly a true natural actor. And if you read his backstory, an actual natural actor. He he auditioned after a friend was auditioning for something after he'd only acted in one play, and he got the part and was a star within a handful of years. Yeah. So, so anyway, thank you for being on. Of you course, bet. I really my pleasure. It. As you know, I um I can do this all day with you. So it's so fun. So thank you all for listening. Please wear a mask, stay safe, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, etc. And goodbye.